I want to look at 1 Corinthians 3 today and talk about that, that hymn that we just sang. What is our foundation as, as the body of Christ, as, as this church? So if you're following along, I'm going to read all the way through 1 Corinthians 3, but, but we're going to start with 1 Corinthians 3, 3 to 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. For you are still in the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not in the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? But servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave them, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this one foundation. And even though we look around in the church and, 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 and in the media about the church and, and things seem like they are crumbling, the foundation is secure. And that foundation is Christ. Remind us of this, that, that we stand on a firm foundation so long as we stand on Christ. And the word of God through the scriptures and his Holy Spirit So, Father, let the words that I speak be tested by your word and moved by that same spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, I want to talk about the foundation of the church. What do we stand on? And as many have noticed as I I prayed, that, that, that we seem to be on a very shaky foundation. If you look at what the media is saying about the church in the world, and not just what the media is saying, but what the church has actually done. The question to ask is if somebody looks at the church, and by the church I don't mean this building or or what happens in our programs, but what happens in us. The question, will they see that foundation? Will they look at us? Will they know more about Jesus by looking at us? Um, you know, my, my words aren't very helpful in this, so, so we look at Scripture and we start with Paul giving this conviction to the church in Corinth, and this would not have been an easy thing to read. Paul is saying, look, I, I can't address you as spiritual people. Like, Paul's saying, look, I'm, I'm being honest with y'all. But as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And he said, look, you're, you're not ready for meat. I fed you with milk. And he, and he, and he gives this reason. He says, because there's division among you you're still acting like people in the flesh and this is the second time that he gave this rebuke this is a church divided we know later on in in chapter 12 that 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 one of the ways we see this division is among wealthy and and poor and and the different classes they actually divided themselves when it came time to to have communion the the wealthy would eat first and then the poor so they were actually divided during communion 
We know that they ha- they divided themselves by Gentiles and Jews. Paul addressed this by by essentially family line. Who's been a believer in God the longest? But here Paul was speaking specifically about the division in following man-made traditions, following men. And he said there were some who said, I follow Paul, and some who said, I follow Apollos. Now today, you might think Paul would be really, really um, grateful for this. Like there's people saying, hey, you know what? Paul is a great teacher. I am a Paulist, right? I follow Paul. He, he would be flattered by this. And he'd, and he'd go and start Paul ministries, right? But no, Paul says, what are you doing? Don't follow me. I'm just, I'm just a man. See, we have this weird obsession today about leadership. And, and, and I know that might strike you uh, that I, I call that weird. Because it's such a commonplace thing. If we go to, to any um, corporate function, we talk about leadership and the importance of leadership. Even if we go to a church function or a church conference, half of them are on leadership. If we go to Kurong, you know, most of the, the books about, about church and how to run church are about leadership, which is so strange because the Bible never talks about it. In fact, not even Jesus himself talks about it. In fact, he says... Now this is this is Jesus himself. He says, "I came to serve, not to be served." Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. When he's sitting with the disciples, all of them are arguing about who's going to be the leader among them. He rebukes them. And in fact, he rebukes them by pulling a a boy, a young boy who's who's bussing their tables. And he pulls this boy over to himself and he says, hey, you know what? Y'all are going to talk about who's going to be your leader. You want to argue about who's going to be first. He says, no, unless you become like this little boy, this little server, you're not going to be first. But whoever wants to become first must first become a servant. But that's not how we see things today. In fact, that is what Paul says in verse 5. That that Paul and Apollos, they aren't leaders, but they're servants. In fact, he goes on to say that that he is nothing. Paul goes on to say that, that he is actually nothing. It's only God who makes us grow who is anything. You see, Paul's job wasn't to point to Paul. This is why we don't have people saying, hey, I'm a Paulist. Right? Because Paul wasn't getting people to follow Paul. Paul was getting people to follow Jesus. He didn't start his own church. Paul didn't, didn't start Paul ministries. But rather, he led people and, and showed people Christ that they would be part of the body of Christ and the church of Christ. He says that in the beginning of his letter, he says that, that his only responsibility was to preach Christ and him crucified. So Paul didn't shine a light on himself. He preached Christ and him crucified. You know, and, and, and as a preacher, and, and those of you who come up to do communion, you can relate to this. Uh, I'm not uh, probably the most eloquent person um, when I speak. Uh, I'm not always the most relevant person when I speak. 
And sometimes what I think makes sense doesn't make sense to other people. Um, you can ask my, my family that. They'll, they'll tell you for sure. Um, and I try to make jokes. Sometimes they're funny. Most of the time they are not. That's one of the, the, one of the hardest things. When you're standing behind a pulpit and you, and you try to say something funny and everybody just kind of looks at you. Um, and you realize that's failed. Um, but I hope that this one thing is true. That eventually you would forget every word that came from my mouth. That you would forget my name entirely. That's an okay thing. But that you would remember the scripture and you would know Christ. That should be the goal of every preacher. Even John the Baptist, right? His followers, they were, they were really worried because their congregation was shrinking. And, and, and the people who were following John the Baptist, suddenly there weren't as many as there were before, and they were going off and joining this other congregation, following this, this new guy, this Jesus guy. And his disciples came to John and they say, hey, John, this is, this is a problem. Where are all of, of your followers going? Shouldn't you do something about it? Like, shouldn't we be looking at more strategies? Maybe we need to be more attractional. Maybe we need a building or, or better programs, and, and that'll get more people into the church of John. But John simply said this. He said, he must increase, and I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. You know, I've actually seen pulpits where that's engraved on the top of the pulpit. Because that should be the goal of every ministry, every preacher. When someone gets here on the stage to, to lead worship or communion, that I would decrease and he would increase. That it would be that we would point to Christ and not to ourselves. And see, Paul remembered it wasn't him. It wasn't words from him. Again, he says this in the beginning of this book. He says, I, I came to you not with eloquent words, but, but I laid everything aside but to preach Christ and him crucified. You know, that, that is one reason why his letters are, are considered scripture, because it wasn't his words, but God's. I, I mean, Paul, he was a hater of Christ. He didn't go and, and, and say, hey, God, I want to follow you. Hey, Jesus, you're a good guy. I want to follow you. No, Jesus knocked him down on the road to Emmaus. By his grace, Paul was saved. Verse 10. I'm going to read to you from verse 10 to, to 15. According to the grace of God to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will reveal by it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. A reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as the, through fire. You see, Paul understands that it's not Paul who made this happen, but God's grace. It's not Paul that earned the position 
of builder or preacher. It wasn't because Paul was clever or he had clever words. It wasn't because Paul was popular. It wasn't because of Paul's work, but God's grace for the sake of God's glory. And he says, firstly, early on, that he is only a fellow worker. What kind of worker? Well, here in in verse 10, he says, let each one take care of how he builds on it. Each one. Paul is a fellow builder amongst many builders, not the only builder. For we are all called in Christ, all who believe, to build one another up. Paul says this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12. We are all gifted, and therefore we are all fellow builders who are called to take care how we should build. Are we building? I mean, this is a question that each one of us has to ask ourselves. Are you building? God's given you tools. He's he's given you gifts. He's given you the strength to do this. Are you building? One of the great things in in looking at this text is, is going back to Nehemiah. And I really want to invite you to do that throughout the week. Go read Nehemiah. See how God uses builders for his sake. And, 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 then, and then see how this analogy works. There are no believers who are not a part of this. No believers who are called to simply watch the building happen. But every believer is a builder. So the question to ask is, how are you building? What are you doing with those tools that God has given you? And then he gives us instructions on how to build. Or kind of rather not how, rather how not to build. Firstly, where to build. And where we build is on Christ. On the foundation of Christ. There is no other foundation that is worth building on. If you build anything else, it will fail. If you build on gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or straw, it's going to be tested by fire and it's going to be destroyed. The result in gold, silver, stone, wood, hay, straw, but it's not going to be eternal. It'll be revealed in fire. And all those things, I mean, silver and gold, they melt in fire. Stones crumble and burst in the heat. The straw and the wood and the hay, they burn to ashes, but only Christ is eternal. You know, we we can look at modern examples, unfortunately. We can look at modern examples. We have seen in the media what has happened to some of the largest churches around the world when they have built on on gold and, and silver and on the wrong foundation. I'm going to mention one of those, not to be divisive, but I think it's important. And, and I'll mention this one because this is one that I was caught up in, and I even taught and preached here in this church and I apologize for that in the end. There was a movement in the 90s called the seeker-sensitive movement. And it came from this amazing, uh, growing church outside of Chicago, Illinois. And, and it was growing, and, and the pastor, Bill Hybels, he was, he was writing books, and, and, and he was such an influence. And, and what he did was he looked and, and he said, look, you know, what, you know what really works in America is the, the business the, the corporate structure. And he says, well, why don't we apply that to the church? Because people like that. They know that. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna benefit from that. And, 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 and then he started looking at leadership and he started seeing, you know, it's really important that leaders, they fit in 
to the society around them. That, that they're popular. That they're charismatic. And the people, they're attractive. People want to come near them and hear what they have to say. That was the basis of this movement that, that many churches adopted. Even, like I said, myself, I adopted this. But remember, Christ is our foundation. Let me tell you something about Christ, this cornerstone. We read that this stone is the stone that is actually rejected. This isn't the stone that is popular. This isn't the most beautiful stone. It's the stone that is rejected. And it becomes a stumbling block to those who don't believe. What was created and promoted in this was making the stumbling block beautiful through gold and silver and popularity. It was popular Christianity. And was based not on the foundation of Christ, but on the popularity of its leader, on being attractive. Remember Isaiah said that Jesus would be one who would have no beauty that men should be attracted to him. We often forget that. Jesus is not attractional. In fact, what, 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 what Brett said before, that's, that's an ugly part of the gospel that we have to deal with. And, and for many, it is, it is the smell of death, Paul says. The gospel becomes the smell of death because they hate that idea that they gotta deal with their sin. And they gotta admit that they've been sinful and that somebody needed to die on a cross for them. That is not attractive to the world. Jesus said we will be hated on account of him. We're not gonna be popular. That's a hard thing for us to grasp. Not if we preach the true gospel that calls men to repent and to put their faith in Jesus and to see that they need to repent because of their sins and this system because it was based on popularity what happened there was there was no accountability there was no one to say anything negative to say hey you know what we're going in the wrong direction so that ministry ended in huge moral failures that were allowed to go unchecked and and we see this over and over in in churches today major ministries being affected by by these moral failures where the ministry is is based not on the foundation of Christ but on the foundation of a man on the foundation of how many books we sell or how good we can make the building look and there's a world that is watching that and looking at the abuse that has happened in the body of Christ and saying, where is this Christ that you're talking about? You see that seeker sensitive. We want to be sensitive to, to those who are seeking religion and those who are, are seeking spirituality, but scripture says we should definitely be seeker sensitive. Who's the seeker? Sensitive to the seeker who Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. Our sensitivity is to Christ. Our foundation is Christ, not being popular, but it is to Christ. In fact, according to Romans 3, we don't seek. That's the problem. No one, according to Romans 3, and Paul's echoing David here, no one seeks after God. No one is righteous. No, not one. So yeah, we should be seeker-sensitive, sensitive to the Savior who seeks and saves the lost.
He's our focus. Not man, not ministries, not programs, but Christ. Verse 16. Do you know that that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are the temple. This is where our our, our English language fails us. Us Midwesterners in America and Southerners in America, and all you Aussies, yous got this right. It's okay to say yous. I, I know we're often told by our parents and our English teachers it's not, but the English language doesn't have you plural. For some reason, and so in 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 America we say y'all, and here in Australia you say use. What Paul would really be saying here is, don't all y'all know that y'all are God's temple, or maybe here use all know that use are God's temple. That's the Aussie version. In fact, there are very few times in the New Testament when you is singular. Why? Because we are not Christians alone. We are joined together so close that we're joined by by ligaments and sinews, which is Christ, to the point where when one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one mourns, we all mourn, according to Paul in, in, in chapter 12. So when one part of this building crumbles, it's a major thing. And when one person seeks to destroy it, it's not just one person that it's affected. It's the body of Christ. You see, when he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, he's not talking about individuals. He's talking about the body of Christ, you all, as the body of Christ. So not only does God's spirit dwell in us as individuals, but he dwells in us in our relationships and our, our working together in the body of Christ. Verse 18, let no one deceive himself. If anyone amongst you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all these, uh, for all things are yours. Again, you plural whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God. What an amazing statement. You know, it's so common in this day and age for us to find a man, for us to find our our favorite preacher, our favorite teacher, our favorite author and, and say, I am of this person. I am of that person. To divide ourselves accordingly. But Paul's saying, uh, what are these people? What is Eric? (laughs) But a man. But our guide and our leader, the head of the church, according to Paul, Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm the head of the church. I'm the guy that started it, so listen to me. No, he says, the head of the church is Christ. Christ is the only head of the church. So we stand back and 
and our unity, our leading, our, our guiding is found only in Christ. How do we know how he's leading, how he's guiding? Well, each of us have access to the word. You don't need me to tell you what the word says. You all can read it for yourselves. That's my job, to point to the word, to encourage you to be in the word so that you can learn it for yourself and be guided yourself so that you each can be a builder. One of the things that you might seem this might seem like I'm going off on a tangent, but I'm not. I'll, I'll bring it back to this, I promise. We just did something amazing that has often been forgotten in, in the church today. We sang together. And, and, and oftentimes, uh, nowadays, what, what we do, and, and th- th- there's a place for this, too. Um, that's why we're doing both things today. But, but there's, a, there's a place for, for standing up front and, and having a, a team that, that you can hear sing, and, and that's fine. But one of the things we often forget is to listen to one another when we sing. There's something powerful in that. Congregational singing. To hear each and every voice. Because when we do, we realize we're not alone. We realize that when we sing, when we sing praise, we're, we're not here as an observer of a concert, but we are participants. So that's why I called us to, to sing that a cappella today. Because, you know, the person next to you in the pew has a part to play in this worship. It's not just the preacher. It's not just the worship team. But each one of us is building in this worship. We're building an atmosphere of praise, a building of praise. So I want to encourage you, even as we sing in in different ways, actually listen to the people around you. Yes, it's true, not all of us are great singers. But it's out of the heart that we hear their singing. It's not a concert. It's not a... um, We're not spectators. But each one of us is part of that singing. Each one of us is part of that worship. And I want to encourage you to sing. If you're one that doesn't sing, you're you're worried that your your voice isn't, isn't good enough, sing. Because your singing encourages the next person, and their singing encourages the next person, and this is not a model for singing, but for how we do the church. This is only a representative of that. Each one of us participating. Each one of us singing praise and being part of that. And we do that. The only thing we can boast in is in Christ. We can't boast in in how great... Uh, our, our our preacher is, or or how great our our favorite televangelists, or our our favorite author, or those are men, but we can boast in the greatness of Christ, and in that we can have unity. Our unity isn't isn't found in in what we do; it's found in who we follow, in Christ. He is our foundation. 